Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 41st episode of the Tuesday Night Podcast. I am your host, SBJ, and with me today, I have Alan. Hey, from Cleveland, Akron area, representing everybody. Like Hi. always. Yeah. Uh, we, don't have, we don't have Sean with us today. I think we have He's somebody... <laughs> I think we have somebody slightly better. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we have Paul Dean from Shut Up and Sit Down with us today. Well, hi. I like the way that you extended the poll, but shortened the Dean. <laughs> How were we supposed to say it? I, 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 you know what? I don't know. And it's too late in life now for me to start laying down rules about how my name is said. I've, I've that horse bolted barn door, whatever, gone. But I did the Paul Dean. I don't know. That's it. That's how it's said now. Paul Dean. Paul Dean. It's Paul like a wrestler. Dean. Paul Dean. Nah, this doesn't flow as well. Yeah. All right, so 41st episode, uh, spoiler, I actually played some games. We'll get to that in Table Talk. Alan, how was how was your four, uh, your American 4th of July? Hey, thanks for asking. Since all of us are American here on this episode today, <laughs> I think it's appropriate to talk about the 4th of July. It was great. Celebrated my independence with some in-laws and just played a crap ton of board games because they're huge board game enthusiasts. They even come down to Gen Con uh, and say hi to me and things while I'm running two rooms in a boom and whatnot. But I'm excited to hear about you because you said you'd probably play some games because you played games with your almost in-laws, if memory serves me correct. Is that inappropriate to say almost in-laws? Am I totally wrong? No, no, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I like I like my girlfriend's family a ton. And we're always in situations where there are more people there because we're always in a situation where it's like somebody's birthday party or a baby sh baby shower or a wedding so it's never just immediate family and that's that's when a game like two rooms in a boom or werewolf would do really well but it's also kind of weird because uh, it's not my party and you guys told me to bring games but i don't know wh when i stop the party and say let's do something a at some point we eventually got to that and i'll i'll talk about that more in table talk but overall it was a it was a fun weekend uh lots of driving but that's that's nothing new when i visit minnesota but paul had canadian day i think that was the same you, week you think paul had can oh, you don't know do you? you don't know when it is do you when is hey it? we're american man don't expect us to know anything about anything outside of america i think Come it's on, july when it is when is I canadian day tell me I think it was July 1st. July 1st. It was the Friday, oh, was it not? Almost stepped on a landline there. <laughs> almost. Canada Day is July the 1st. And uh, yeah, there was a suitably, I don't know, a Canadian celebration of things with some friends, which was really good fun. Was this your first Canadian Day? Or no, you've been, you've been in Canada for over a year now. Yeah, it was my second. It okay. was my second. I've been here for about a year and a half now. And uh, the last one was was incredibly good and also my first experience of it and in, in a way sort of very i don't know it's kind of moving to be in a different country and to have wanted to be in that country and be like okay i'm here at the moment i'm enjoying this and and to feel part of it and to feel included um the, f the first canada day was a really interesting experience in that way and really exciting um and this was sort of more of the same as just seeing friends and a really good, I don't know, a kind of a sense of community or something comes out of it, which I guess comes out of the 4th of July, I suppose. You're all celebrating the same thing together. Here's here's the big tell. Were there fireworks? Yeah. Ah! <laughs> there we go. Because that's it. I'm I'm just purposely being a overly American there. I, th I have to give you props. You know what? Can I crush on you a little bit, Paul? Oh, no. What's happening? I'm going to crush on you a little bit because... Mm -hmm. 
I think it's incredible that someone goes ahead and is born in one area, one country, if you will, and decides, you know what? I really like the way this other country is running, and I'm going to go there because we have this implicit social contract, as Socrates said, right? That uh, that's why he drank the hemlock. You guys all know the story of Socrates and the hemlock, right? You guys oh, know this story? I don't think social contracts are Socrates, though. Are they not um, oh, it's totally the Socrates. Leviathan guy? Are you talking about the movie Leviathan? Oh, my. No, the philosopher. Who wrote Leviathan? Thomas Hobbes? Socrates predates Thomas Hobbes. Yeah, but I'm sure social contract comes from... I'm going to... Right, no, I'm going... Yeah, Thomas Hobbes, social contract, surely, 1650s. 1650s. I mean, he I, said my, social my degree is in philosophy, so I'm aware hey, so that just sir. <laughs> on a tangent. Uh, yeah, look at us arm wrestling over philosophy. Well, you know what? I would argue this, and this is where we can compromise and probably meet in the middle. Ooh. Socrates at least describes something of the social contract, and then Thomas Hobbes okay. probably actually labeled it the social contract. Because what Socrates did is he pissed off all the really important bigwigs, his state, and they said, you have a choice. You can either get out or we're going to kill you. And as the story goes, he decided death. And he, they were really surprised. Like, what are you doing? No, we just want you out of here. That was just kind of like an empty threat. He's like, no, give me the poison. Of course, I'm paraphrasing here, paraphrasing Plato. But <laughs> his idea was, no, 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 this is the rules. If you pass that judgment, it implicitly says that with me staying here and enjoying all the benefits of our society, I also have to enjoy, or I guess not enjoy, but suffer all of the consequences of the bad stuff. Because we can't just pick and choose the good and then ignore the bad. So that's part of implicitly the social contract we signed. So he probably didn't use the word social contract, but that's the idea is the social contract. So the, the fascinating thing, going back to me crushing on you, is uh -huh. you were living in one area and you decided, uh -huh. you know what? I don't want to sign this social contract anymore because the bad is too much for me. I'm going to go ahead and go and take the bad and the good from some other place. And I think that really speaks fathoms to your character because our interactions have been pretty few. But anytime I've interacted with Mr. Paul Dean, oh, it's, it's fixed now. I can't undo that. Right. It, oh. You've been the most gentleman and dry humored individual, one of them I've ever met. So it's just just really, really nice. In fact, I think one of my personal goals for this episode is to see if I can find out what's really ungentlemanly about you. Yeah. Everything is. First of all, I mean, it's all you to just talk to, to people who spend more time with me. It's all it's all a show. It's all uh, a veneer. And I am underneath a terrible person. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't understand why people. It's very kind of you to say that. And thank you. But I'm I'm as flawed as the worst of people in our world. Um, yeah. And all those flawed people never say that. That's kind of why they're flawed. They say I'm awesome. But here you are just being humble. So you're only proving my point, man. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but thank you. I mean, that's very nice of you to say so. I. So here's the thing. I mean, I've this is a, a subject that people occasionally bring up with me. And they it's, it's quite often Americans who, who will uh, ask me questions like on Twitter or at conventions and things. And uh, it's, it's always out of genuine interest. It's always out of like, why did you do that? What's the reason for that? And I think that's partly because Americans generally have quite a good impression of Britain and they're always interested in 
what happens there or going there or visiting there. And there's always a kind of a sort of a, a brotherly or a camaraderie sort of, you know, mutual interest between the two countries. So I think Americans immediately tend to be predisposed to think, hey, you know, England, Britain's pretty good. Um, why, why would you want to leave? I, I always grew up being aware that there was a way bigger world that I'm in. And, you know, maybe it's it's probably different in America because America's got like five times the population and I don't know, a hundred times the space. But you have a globe, you look at Britain and England on the globe and it's really tiny and there's so much other stuff out there. And I don't really see how you couldn't be excited about thinking about going to other places and visiting other places. Um, we never traveled a lot when I was young and we went on holiday abroad a couple of times and went around Britain a bit, but I was always reading a lot about how there was so much other stuff in the world and North America was always very interesting and Europe was always very interesting to me, but I only really got to start to travel sort of a lot more myself when I was in my twenties and it was just like, wow, you know, people can be so different. People can run their countries in different ways and have different priorities and different values. And sort of nationalism and patriotism are weird things to me. It, it seems strange that you're born in a place, so you have to be associated with it just because you were born there, which isn't a choice that you made anyway. It's Oh, man. Yeah, you're talking about the in-group, out-group effect right there. Just, you know, uh, Pittsburgh should die. Why? Because I'm from Cleveland. And that's just like you're defining your in-group and out-group by the city in which you were raised, let alone Isn't the country. Odd? Don't you think that's strange? Because it's like... It's so it's bizarre borders... and it's so common. It's it's what? I don't. I just don't understand. Borders drawn by people, you know, before you were born who never knew you and didn't have any of your interests in any way, you know, to heart. Yeah. I, I have another question. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to step on you or SVJ, nope. but I'm just totally curious. Because um, you alluded in, in SVJ, you can cut this out if you or Paul <laughs> wants to. But before we started talking on Skype, you reference no less than three times. Well, it's because I'm old. Like I'm, I'm making tea because I'm old and uh, I have to, I forget what else, because I'm old. And it, it makes me wonder, because you don't seem like an old person at all. So I, I'm wondering what you, your definition of old is, which is, I guess, my backhanded way of asking the crass oh, question. How old are no, you? No, that's fine. I'm, I'm 36 years old, which I appreciate in the- You in the son age. of a bitch, I'm older than you. Are you? Yes! You're about 23, Alan. <laughs> I mean, all right, no. with the qualifications, you're maybe 27. No, but hey, I, I'm with you. You're surrounded by all these young kids playing all them board games. Yeah. That's... Well, it's it's the reason I, I mean, I say it partly because it's like a, a self-deprecating thing and it's partly just uh, some of my habits are a bit curmudgeonly and I'm a bit of a curmudgeonly person maybe in a few ways. But it's also... When I, I really got into video games, first of all, when I was young, and I was really excited. I remember being about seven years old and thinking, like, the best possible job you can have is writing for a video games magazine because they was just starting to take off. So, like, seven years old, it would have been, like, 1987. Video games machines were, were becoming more common and people were getting more computers in their homes. And then people were yeah. writing magazines about them and, like, reviewing games and saying, this is why this is a good or a bad game. And I thought, oh, that's... It's an exciting job, but it's a perfectly good service. Like, I see the reason to do that, to tell people what you think is good and why, and it's great use of a skill. And board gaming developed sort of in parallel to that when I got, I think, to the age of 8, 9, 10, 11. So those kind of both going on in my life. But I never 
never really saw very much board game media or very much uh, people writing or covering that. So I don't know. I've, I've watched video games from a very early age be very primitive. And now it's sort of the next generation or the next half generation, like even just friends of mine who might be a few years younger than me, video games are a far more normalized part of their life. And like the internet was part of their upbringing and right. they grew up maybe mostly on the internet and always had it. And I remember being sort of 16, 17 years old and getting the internet. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Or yeah. The, the acceptance, like you could have a, you could actually have a career making video games and that would be, that would be acceptable and reasonable and you would make money. And I don't know. It's, it's like, I'm, I, I do feel weirdly old because I feel like I'm I, I'm occasionally thinking about what society was like before these great changes happened. And they, they are actually really great changes in many ways. They're hugely culturally significant. Games are part of our cultural language and how we relate to each other and how we talk to each other. I would have loved to, when I was at school, have something like the equivalent of, of Pokemon around as like that, that ice-breaking thing to talk to, to friends about. Because... Right. I mean, I remember being like 11 years old and going to a new school and a bunch of the boys in my class, like the, the, all talking about the famous lady celebrities that they liked. And I was like, well, I don't really have any. Or I think like this lady celebrity is interesting, but I wasn't supposed to like that. I was supposed to like all these blonde women with enormous breasts. That's what I was supposed to do. But because I didn't do that, I didn't fit in. Um, and it would been great if the conversation would have been about video games instead yeah or you know or now increasingly board games what what i mean i don't play netrunner but i would be i think it would be an awesome thing if you had a group of school kids getting together saying what deck have you built who's in your deck how does that work show me i think that's a wonderful kind of social (laughs) lubricant it's a good time to be here now yeah i'm jelly all jelly about the kids nowadays getting to talk about their board games and their pokemon yeah it it always it always comes back to pokemon no no that's I think for our listeners, this this show will probably be uh, heavier on on what was just talked about, and more specifically, I have a lot more shut up and sit down questions that I would I would love to ask. Excuse me, Sam. Do you have the time? But of course, it be topic time. Like Alan said, I'm I'm a bit. Uh, well, Alan's a bit of a fanboy. I'm also a huge fanboy of Shut Up and Sit Down. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, which 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 has been mentioned on the on the show before, but. I think I, I guess I guess the the main question is uh, how did you and Quinn's meet? Because I th- I'm pretty sure I heard the story about Matt and Quinn's meeting, and then I, I'm not sure if they told that on a, a recent episode of Shut Up and Sit Down. Oh yeah, uh, I have a question for you, SBJ, because I like your voice, and I know Paul's a guest. But how did you first hear about Shut Up and Sit Down, and how did you get involved? Because you said you're a fanboy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did you hear about? It? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Um, So I got into board games from just some friends that I recently met playing Pokemon. Again, everything in my life seems to come back to Pokemon. Uh, But we were playing the trading card game and then they introduced me to just some more board games, whether that was, you know, Dominion or Risk Legacy or Pandemic. And that's where that kind of grew. And when I when I like something, I consume it way too much. I go I go in depth with like forums and Reddit and and other online sites and i i try to indulge in in what i recently found out that i enjoyed and i came across the web series tabletop by will wheaton and i thought that was okay but there was that was Ooh, the, suck on that will <laughs> no it was it was good it was good 
uh, that was season one, so there wasn't that much content, and I was, I was like, somebody else has to be doing, like, video content of board games, like, this has been around since before I discovered it, so there must be content out there, and besides the Dice Tower, there wasn't that much, and then I stumbled upon, and maybe Paul can speak to this, Shut Up and Sit Down's videos on the Penny Arcade website, and the first- Oh, yeah. The first oh, yeah. one I watched, which I thought was super interesting, I was like, well, if Penny Arcade, I like, I love Penny Arcade. If Penny Arcade has these guys on their website, they must be good. And I watched Quinn's review of Escape from the Temple. And yes. I watched it twice in a row because I just thought it was so good and so funny. And then I brought Irene over and I was like, watch this video. Like, it's like, cause we just got the game, but we didn't, we, we didn't open it. And she was like, oh my God, like, let's open the game right now and play it. And then we went down this rabbit hole of look at all these other shut up and sit down videos. And we ended up no joke that night. We discovered shut up and sit down. We stayed up till 5 AM just watching all the videos that you guys made up to that point. Wow. Wow. Listen to this circle jerkle we got going on right here. <laughs> That's amazing. lovely to hear though. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was just really great. And, uh, yeah, that's, that that's my story of coming coming up to shop and sit down. But I guess that just has more questions to me. Like, when did you meet Quinns? Why? When? When and why were you guys partnered with Penny Arcade? Obviously, you guys are not partnered with Penny Arcade. And then you yeah, Paul, when did you first hear about Shut Up and Sit Down? <laughs> I was in my kitchen, but we have to go. We have to go like ten years back before that or something. No, not that far. Are you sitting comfortably? I am. I'm ready. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, I met Quinn's in Amsterdam because why not? Right, it's the right? place. Yeah, that's that's where you go. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah, um, <laughs> because if you're going to meet someone from the internet who you don't know anything about, you may as well meet them in the Dutch capital. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I was on holiday with a bunch of friends, and Quinn's was a mutual friend. And I think it was 2004, and we were in Amsterdam, and if memory serves. We went to a zoo. We uh, took some trams, and we... SBJ, you have to edit in some great romantic music or something in the background. <gasps> All, right. During this. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Well, sorry. Well, Keep on going. Relevant noises to relevant sort of. Right. Uh, yeah. <gasps> That's an elephant. This is me doing an elephant. <laughs> I thought that was I'll a bird. Up. I thought that was an eagle. <laughs> I know my eagles. Oh, that was like a kazoo. That's the same. That's the same animal. Oh, elephants and eagles. All right. I'm sorry. Right. Right. America. It's, that's basically yeah no but this i mean this is true we we met in amsterdam um and we i think we'd previously read stuff that each other had written at some point on the internet because we were part of the same um internet writing circles that revolved around certain video games magazines and at that point i'd been doing i want to say about three years of freelance writing for games magazines where i just did like video uh not videos um reviews of video games or interviews with people who made them or features or this sort of thing and it was kind of just how i was paying some of my bills at that time i did a bit of part-time work and i also just wrote for magazines and it, it didn't pay fantastically but it paid you know for food to go in my mouth and it paid it uh paid the rent so it it, it was okay um and if i think quinn's was just sort of, he was very young at the time and he was just starting to write professionally um and he was very good he's always been very good from a young age uh which is kind of sort of infuriatingly jealousy creating but he's, he was very good when he started um, didn't he have the nickname better. the kid because he was so young and writing is i think i heard that from matt 
Is that, right? tr I, is that true? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's just blowing smoke up my ass. But I, I think I remember him like they would call <laughs> Quinn's the kid. Because he I was mean, so the thing. The other thing is Quinn's is kind of his nickname. His his name is Quentin. Um, but Quinn's is, I think, his self self monikered nickname or something. But it's right. what I've known him as, so it's what I always say. Uh, but we we just had some of the same interests and we got along. And I liked a lot of what he was into. And I discovered Quinn's was into some of the role playing I was into. And even sort of years back, we we talked a little bit about board games. And then we went on, we just played stuff together, or went on trips together, or went to parties together. And I always appreciated his sense of humor and his way of looking at things um and he always had he was always doing interesting things and always had new ideas and it was i think 2011 where we were having a conversation in my kitchen of the place that i lived in tottenham in north london which was uh, a not fun place to live at the time but we'd been playing a bunch of board games for a little while and we'd it was really nice to kind of get back into them because i was it felt like board games were spreading everywhere and that I played a few kind of cool things as a kid, but the, nobody was really selling all these interesting games. And Quinza discovered a bunch and I was like, yeah, no, I, I used to love this kind of thing. Let's play more. And he said, maybe we could do something uh, video related about them. Do something on the Internet about board games, video related, funny, relevant, interesting, because there's already some stuff out there, but it's a bit kind of stayed and it's very functional. Uh, and we were both fans of a video game show on the internet, which is called Consulvania, which was a bit, it was pre-YouTube, but you'll find a lot of it now on YouTube. It was mainly distributed, I think, by BitTorrent. But it was a bunch of guys in Scotland who basically we took loads of inspiration from. They would review video games, but they also do sort of video game related skits um, and interesting criticism, interesting angles on it. Um, and mix it all together. And it was all just handy cam kind of lo-fi stuff because it it didn't matter that it wasn't high quality. It mattered that they had interesting stuff to say. And Quinns was, was right. saying, maybe we could do something like this. I'd written some screenplays while I'd been at university and I'd filmed some stuff with like film society people. And he was like, well, you'd know how to do that, wouldn't you? I mean, we could work on something. And I was like, yeah, we probably could. And at the time, I mean, I don't remember much about it now, but at the time... I was trying to take a project off the ground with a couple of friends where they wanted to film a short series about something. And I'd written a couple of screenplays already and they didn't really quite know what they wanted. And I just like sent them drafts of stuff. And it was always a case of them being like, well, you know, this is fine, but maybe actually maybe we don't do this and maybe we change it. I was like, ah, oh, you don't know what you want, do you? Oh, this is really frustrating. <laughs> and so when Quinns and I talked about this, I remember saying, the line was something like, I was like, if you want to do this, I, I'm absolutely going to do this if you're invested and interested. But I didn't know if he was like spitballing or if he was really committed. Yeah, so was, Sean and I, I, I have those conversations all the time. So it's, I well, totally it's appreciate it. Because sometimes you are, sometimes you're throwing ideas around, sometimes you're really into it. And I was like, no, this is a good idea. Um, but I wasn't sure like how busy we would be or what was coming up. And then he borrowed a camera off a friend, I think like within a few days, it wasn't like a case of let's talk about it some more. It was very much Quinn was like, I'm excited about this. No, let's get this going. And he sort of, he kicked down the door or he got the ball rolling and suddenly we had a camera and we're like, okay, let's just go out and do stuff. And we started filming things. And some of the first things we filmed were quite bad and have never been seen. <laughs> They, they were bad they were like bad oh, delivery man. and they weren't very exciting and we did we 
made a few mistakes of us. We screwed stuff up. Do they still exist at least, or did you delete them? That is a really good question. I think they may be on a external hard drive that I gave to Quinns that I think might just only be full of old Sharp and Sedan rushes. <laughs> because I think the very, very first episode we did when we tended to do longer format stuff that was about half an hour long, we kind of chopped that episode into two and edited about half of it each. And I think it was among sort of my half of all the rushes. And I used to have this external hard disk that just had, would always have all this stuff on. Um, and I think when I moved to Canada, I left it with Quinns and was like, you know, it's like, it's an archive of what we've gone. You might want it some way, someday. Uh, it might be worth millions. <laughs> or it right. just might be worth like having. A gift for your subscribers, perhaps, because they're already your fans. So maybe. Well, maybe. I mean, the thing good. is, there is um, there's a lot of stuff that we've done that we haven't published or printed because uh, it's not always good. And the thing is, you know, we try and give people the best that we can. And occasionally you write a draft to something or you film something and you're like, oh, that's, yeah, it's fine. But, you know, if we need to cut something out, we'll cut that. And you don't want to give people sort of the leftover scraps because it's not going to be as good. Right, right. Yeah. How does. How does then you meeting Quinn starting to do this, the excitement of a new project, which I'm sure I, I've definitely experienced. I'm sure Alan has, especially with, you know, the games he makes. But how does that lead into getting as big as Shut Up and Sit Down is? Did that have anything to do with your videos being on Penny Arcade's website or like when did the ball actually start rolling? You know what? It's kind of been like a slow, like one of those cartoon snowballs that gradually builds up momentum. And there are certain moments where something's happened and it's given us a big jump or a big push. Penny Arcade was part of one of those. I think we'd been going for about a year or a year and a half. And Penny Arcade, I think, got in touch with us or they'd seen some of what we'd done because... You know, the, the, the gradual interest in board games was growing and growing. And naturally, there's a parallel with video games. So it just happened that video games communities, you know, were suddenly remembered that they liked to play local multiplayer games, which in, in a way is what a board game is. So there was growing interest in that. There was a lot of cross-pollinization of ideas, I guess, sort of starting to come out. But somehow Penny Arcade got wind of board games, and they got wind of us. And they asked us if we wanted to put... Either edits, combination of like edits of stuff that we'd originally done uh, up on their site or occasionally, you know, new videos in parallel with what's on our site, on their site. And we were like, yeah, we could do that. And that I think that definitely brought us to a different audience, which is important because at that point we were we were doing very well in board game circles. But the thing is, it, it puts you in a different bubble or it gives you sort of a different explosion of the Venn diagram at that point. So that reached us, to, you know, threw us out to a bunch of different new people. You're writing but this I, down, SBJ, so we can steal all their secrets? Right, right. Copy everything. <laughs> copy it all. But I mean, yeah. I, I also remember, I think it was Kotaku ages ago, we reviewed the new edition of the Game of Thrones board game, which I think was like the Fantasy Flight 3rd edition. And it came out Absolutely. like Correct, sir. four years ago now. I don't know. But just because we happened to do that and we happened to do it in a fairly timely manner, and we put it on the site, and no one else had done that yet. It just, Kotaku linked to it, and were like, hey, you can read about, did you know there are board games? They exist. There's a Game of Thrones <laughs> board game. It's just like yeah. moving the miniatures around as if you were Rob Stark or Stannis Baratheon. 
I remember um, getting excited when Game Informer started including board games on their like hot list. Like, hey, here's some yeah. things coming out this month you should try. It's it's lovely to see that that broadening interest. But at that at that time, I think that gave us just a sudden a sudden bump, and that was our first realization that hey, you know, occasionally we're going to do something that's just going to be completely in sync with uh, a cultural touchstone like Game of Thrones. And that that gave us a spike. Jumping onto Penny Arcade gave us a spike. And then, I don't know, it's 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 just gradual. I wish I could say there is a secret, but there isn't. Sometimes it's a case of... I can tell you our to... secrets if you want. Maybe they'll on. help. Yeah. yeah. Anytime we've had a spike in listeners or in sales, whether it's for our game company or for our podcast, well, SBJ, you know what the secret is. It's when you guys mention us. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I'm not actually kidding. Yeah, like, for instance, you look at the listens for the uh, podcast, and what po- what episode do you think has the most listens more than any other? Please don't with- tell me it's Matthew Lee's coming on <laughs> and causing Yes, problems. it's ridiculous. So, uh, you know, we're surprised. And the thing is, we sold more copies of Two Rooms and a Boom when you guys put us in your best game of all time list. Within those two days, we sold more copies then than we basically ever had in a single day. It, we like you take our top ten days, combine them, and it's when you guys release that. So oh it was goodness. amazing that you guys have that type of pull, but it's totally earned because you have the trust of your fans and listeners. Well, it's 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 really it's really flattering and kind of still a little unbelievable. It's hard for me to believe or grasp sometimes that this happens because you're kind of a big deal. But the thing is, my my day to life, day to day existence hasn't changed a huge amount. I'm still a guy who writes things in front of a computer, who lives in, uh, you know, relatively like pretty usually small, modest flats somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and I still drink the same things that I drink and eat the same things that I eat. And I don't feel like my life has changed a huge amount in how I conduct it or what I do. But if you could, uh, and if you wanted to, you could just buy a pimp suit, start strutting down the street, <laughs> and have people just throw themselves at you. It's just that you choose not to. It's your I choice. I could loan a pimp suit. Also, I am so niche that I could walk down the street and probably just be knocked down by a car, really. <laughs> well, you know, the area that we're in, the, the it is it is very specific when you say, well, you know, we're in games media we're in board games media we're in online board games media i just signed a lease on a new place the other day which i'm i'm so glad to move out of where i live right now and they they didn't for a second understand what my job was and i had to make about five or six separate visits to the landlord with a bunch of different documents and bank histories and things just to to prove that i'm just not some weird english guy who's turned up and i'm like yes i have a job i have my finances in order you know, I, I, I'm a legal, valid human. I, I have some money. It's okay. I'm not going to run away. And I haven't, I'm not running through life in a terribly disorganized manner because it just made no sense to them that this guy does something on the internet and somehow it turns into right. living. The average person doesn't get it. So I'll revise my statement. You could wear that pimp suit and strut into a gaming convention and then that's the small pond in which you're this magnificent, beautiful fish. So that's that's the difference, I guess. Hey, you know what? Do you want to know a secret? Please. I mean, it, I it's can't. on a podcast, so it won't be a secret. Well, we will just slice this bit this bit out. No one will hear. No one will know this. Uh, I can't. I can't eat fish because they make me 
I don't really like seafood anyway. I don't like the taste of most of it, but pretty much all of it makes me really ill. Oh, wow. I hate seafood Fish, as well. scallops. Cut this out, SBJ. Wink, wink. Like you usually it's, do. It's my yeah. weakness. It's how people right. will kill me if they find out. <laughs> I was, so <laughs> you talked about shut up and sit down, getting bigger, especially from bumps from Penny Arcade and, and Kotaku. Obviously a personal reason to leave Britain for Canada, but when you were making that move, and I don't know if you've ever discussed this before, was were you concerned about leaving shut up and sit down in a bad place? I don't know if that that makes sense but yeah we were leaving the company like for instance sean and i have a long distance relationship but we don't do a ton of videos together and we started our relationship long distance but you and quinn's (laughs) you guys are in the same videos all the time and the way your videos make it look it looks as if you're freaking neighbors so if not roommates oh my god the the falsity of uh Media is an amazing thing, and it's amazing how you can edit or you can portray things to give a certain impression. Quinn, by the, the the last place I lived in London was relatively near Quinn's, actually, and we were like the the bus journey always seemed to be stupidly long, but we were in the same area of London, so it wasn't actually hugely difficult, uh, you know, hugely tough for us to visit each other. So we were, you know, pretty close, and we've known each other for a long time, and you know, we talk a lot. So I guess there was always an element of like we're we know each other. We just do. I don't think I had a fear of leaving anything in a bad place because the thing is, uh, I mean, you know, people see the end result of what we do, but they don't see the time and the energy that necessarily goes into things. Um, Your XCOM review was hilarious, yo. It was thank hilarious. You. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love that. And now Paul in Canada tries it single player. Hilarious. But keep going. Sorry. No, no, that's great. It's I mean, this is the thing is we were talking about how we could do stuff. We can, you know, there would be ways we could do things remotely. We can still dip into what each other do, and we can also just still, you know, arrange times to be in the same place as each other, and then continue to do things in the same place, um, which will happen at Gen Con. And I'm not going to give away exactly what, but we'll be in the same place as each other for something else soon, which we're going to do. You guys uh, are starting your own convention. Yes. Uh, that's not a bad idea either. Um, <laughs> Let me know. I'd like to go. Well, you know, you, there's probably going to be a long a long list, guys, so I don't know if we could... Uh, uh, yeah, uh, understandable. We'll <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to make this awkward. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, no, th- Matt and Quinn's work really hard at what they do, and they're very good at what they do, and there's... You don't, you don't really get a sense of if you're going to leave something with them that... It's it's like some of the safest hands that you could leave it in. Um, and, pe- you know, people will watch a video on the Internet and they'll think, oh, that's funny. Oh, that's a laugh. Man, Quinns are playing around. But you having worked, you know, as we have for a while now, I know sometimes how much energy they put into to making a thing happen or to realizing an idea on screen. And, you know, occasionally you can be doing something like thinking, wouldn't it be great to do this shot or do this skit? And it could be. It could be five seconds in the finished edit, but it could be a thing you try and do 20 times and it takes you half an hour because that's just occasionally, the, you know, the way these things work. I don't know. They, they've put so much energy into things to, to make shut up and sit down, just look and be so much better all the time. So there's not really anyone you could sort of feel more confident doing things with, to be honest. So that, that was never really a fear. It was more, well, I guess, where am I going to live kind of fear. Uh, they were they were very supportive of me moving as well and very keen to sort of just 
find new ways to do the same stuff. Let me cut. To, how is your life? You live a good life. You happy, man? I do okay. I do. You know what? I do uh, at this point, especially now that I'm excited to move into a new place. I do better than I have done for a while. I, I don't know how real you want to get. I come from kind of, I think what Americans would say, somewhat blue collar, a uh, kind of blue collar working class background. Right, right. When I grew up, so here's the thing. When I grew up, I thought we were really well off, and I thought we were really quite a comfy family, and we had a lot. And then I think I was about 12 or 13, so I was not young, and I went to a friend's house, and they had more than one bathroom. And I was like, why would you have more than one bathroom in your house? How, like, you must be so rich. You've got a bathroom down, like, two people can go to the toilet at the same time. Because <laughs> that's that was my background. It was like, why, why would you have this? You know, like, th there were five people in, growing up in my family house, and... We did fine with one. I mean, we constantly hammered on the door for like, I want to use the shower now or I want to go to the toilet. But, you know, we it's fine. We got by. It was only as I got older, I realized like, wow, other people's parents have like they've been to university or they own like multiple cars or, you know, this sort of thing. So, I, you know, that's that colored some of my growing up. And I think now sort of I feel... In some ways, I'm quite lucky that I've had to been able to travel a lot for work. Shut up and sit down is doing okay. I don't know if any of us are ever going to be millionaires, but we can pay our bills, um, and you know we can pay our cost of living. And I can uh, live in a not bad apartment and be be about to move to another apartment. I'm kind of excited by like it's it's small but it's cute. And a lot of these are sort of opportunities that I didn't know if I would have, or I didn't know like how my how my life would turn out. So it's. I don't know. It's very weird now. But th this goes back to me saying sort of that I'm old. I can look back far enough that, you know, I used to be a person that in a way I kind of don't recognize because I used to think that the like going to getting on a train and going to the next town was a big deal because wow. it was, you know, it used to it was a thing. It was like, wow, let's go shopping to there's a town called Reading in Berkshire, which was like, I don't know, 10 or 20 miles It's not very far. But it's like we can get on the train and go there and they'll have different shops. <laughs> and look at you now making myself sound yeah. good here or not <laughs> no well i mean i just that was, that was me at 17 that's cool i i just it's weird and it comes from the warm touchy-feely part but uh, again me crushing on you and, and maybe this is too indulgent but I, I just want you to realize the positive impact that you have me personally just two very special occasions and you know we can cut this out if you want but the one for me was you wrote something that is, again, so niche that I'm not sure a lot of people will get, but I think a, the people that it hits home for really hits home all the way. You wrote a special about a dog that you once had. The weird, oh, I'm a my dog. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You're on your blog. And I read that and it just really struck home for me so much because my dogs have i was a latchkey kid do you guys know what that term is you know what a latchkey kid is i've heard it but i don't know if i know what that means i don't SBJ? know what that means either no so i'm a huge dog person but latchkey kid is a term for a kid that after school goes home and there's no one home because the parents are still working so oh, i didn't yeah. even know that term it wasn't until i was in college when we were talking about latchkey kids i was like oh I was a latchkey kid and I never thought anything of it. I didn't think I was neglected or anything. You know, my parents weren't, you know, they were well off and whatever. So it, it didn't bother me at all. But basically I'd come home 
and we had dogs. So we always had dogs. And for my entire life, we, it's almost like a, a magician or a wizard's familiar where I've always just had like one dog and every single member of our family. So you wrote this beautiful piece about the connection that you had with your dog and uh, the journey you went with, you know, said dog. And it, it just really struck home because you verbalized, well, verbalized, you wrote so many of the thoughts that I had had, and it, it just really just jerked all of that out of me. So it, it was really impactful. So that wow. was, I actually started looking at you even differently. But before that, this is almost my introduction to shut up and sit down was you guys made my parents cry with pride. And for that's not an easy thing to do. My father, plastic surgeon, Love them to death. We just had Father's Day. And that's another SBJ. We weren't able to celebrate Father's Day because it's always origins time. But anyway, as a plastic surgeon, perfection. Right? Mm. So it's not that my life or childhood was the worst at all, but my father, his whole business was perfection. So a lot of our interactions when I was a kid was never, hey, good work on doing this. It was always, why didn't you do it this way? There was never a congratulations. And then you and Quinn's, on your podcast, we're talking about shut up. Um, sorry about two rooms in a boom. And you described two rooms in a boom. And you said, yeah, the creators must have had a whole bunch of play testers and a whole bunch of people write this because it's just brilliant and genius with all the different characters. And the reality of it was like the characters you mentioned were ones that I'd written and my father and my mother, they were at my father's place and I went over there and they were listening to it and they were crying I was like, what's oh, wow. going on? And it was because they were so proud because this is this really dumbass thing that they're disappointing is a probably a strong word. Son had been fooling around with instead of focusing on more of a career. And then hearing these people from across the globe talk about how the designer is brilliant, brought tears to their eyes. Of course, then it was contagious. Brought. So anyways, that was more crushing on you. And I just wanted you to know, as you talk about where you come from and the uh, how big your life is and how much bigger the world is because you're moving. I just want you to know the, the ripple effects is that's just one story. That's my story with you guys. And you have so many fans and listeners that you're touching a lot of people in a great way. So I just wanted to share that. Well, thank you. Uh, it's it, it, all that that we said about two rooms and this is maybe going to turn into some Tuesday night backslapping, but I'm, I am actually okay with that because we are big fans of two rooms and for, for really good reason, because it's a game that we've broken out at parties with people who don't necessarily want to play, you know, a, it's, it's not really a board game, but it kind of is a board game or card game. And it's a thing you can break out with people who aren't really going to want to play most things. And it works both as a game that ends up including a lot of people and changing a lot of people's minds about what a game can be. And it's uh, a very kind of clever excuse to get people just talking to each other because the nature of the game is like, you just have a secret. Your secret is like who you are. Get out there and it's up to you whether you want to start being chatty and trying to bluff people or be evasive or whatever. It, it allows people to, in this social space, do something different. And I think it works really well as a game. And I think it works really well as a fun activity for a bunch of people to do together. And that's. That's a really good thing. I mean, you, I don't know if you've thought about this or if you're aware of it, but at, at some point you're going to bump into someone who's going to say to you, like, here's my life partner. I met them at a party where we played your game. You know, that was what got us talking. And I have no doubt that stuff like that is happening right there outside in the world now. That would be amazing. We get a lot of people that say uh, we play it at our wedding 
but I haven't oh, had anyone yeah. say, yeah, which is cool because there's actually a secret expansion that we're working on, two rooms and a groom, which I really like really? to have. Yeah, it's designed to enhance the play when you have 10 or fewer players. So it's uh, it's been playtesting really well so far, but excited, excited stuff. Okay, so here's the thing. We, we played it recently at a party here in Canada, and we only had about eight people, uh, which is not really what you're supposed to have, but actually it still worked because we made the rounds really short. Right, right. And we just, you know, there was no messing around. It was like, time's up, get out, move. And it actually worked very well as a quick fire game. And it was a lot of fun, even though it was slightly imperfect. We just, you know, we miniaturized everything. Still worked. Still worked. Funny, because I, I played it this past weekend and we had 11 people. And I was like, this is, if we had like four more people, this would be perfect. But the, the compromise was we just cut down, I just cut down the timer and moved people a lot faster. And that actually worked perfect. Yeah. Because like the one thing you don't want in two rooms and a boom, I discovered. And I that was one of the first times I was actually the moderator and not playing was you just don't want people standing in a room and going, well, I talked to everyone. So we just wait now. Right. The beauty of the game is supposed to be that no one has talked to every single person. So you have to work together in order to get the information because no single person should know everything. Yeah. 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 I guess we can go, we can go deep into some table talk. And my apologies for not asking Paul if he played anything. This uh... I, I can tell you what I've played recently, if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, let's start with you. Uh, the last couple of board games I played were Mission Red Planet, which you know what, I have had a copy of for quite a long time but never got to break out, and a German card game called... I think it's called Moitura. It basically means mutineer. What was that game again? Mike Tura? Moitura 2000. Oh, that's getting, that's old by it's modern standards. <laughs> 16 yeah. years. Ooh. I'm talking about the age thing, you know, this, I, I would already have been very old when this game came out. Yeah, it's a German card game about basically uh, kind of pirate trading. And you lay out, you lay out a splash of cards, which represent a kind of a series of islands or places you can travel to and your ship gradually moves around these and hopefully you have uh, selected a hand of all the right goods cards to trade so that when you reach one of these islands you have like some cool stuff a way to make to make some profit but at the same time you're kind of endlessly bickering with the captain player about where exactly you're going to land it's a good game actually i enjoyed it a lot more than i expected how many players i think it's up to four Three to four, it says here. Three to four. That's an interesting player count, three to four. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I would recommend it mm-hmm. with four, because with four people, uh, it's it's got a kind of a hidden role aspect. One of you is openly the captain, and then the rest of you can pick secret roles, and that tends to... Uh, the theme of the game is kind of mutiny anyway, so it's up to you whether you decide if you want to do what the captain's going to do this turn or whether you want to sort of be on the side of the mutineers, but you don't know who's on which side until you all reveal at the end of each round. You said SBJ's secret word. Hit and roll. Hit and roll, baby. Yeah, that's my favorite type of game. are good. Yeah, love it. Wow. So you recommend it. Now I'm going to have to check it out. I'm looking at Mission Red Planet, and that game looks gorgeous. Look at all those colors and those bits. Oh, my goodness. It's good. Uh, have either of you ever been a fan of Citadels? So, uh, honest opinion time. I want to hear SBJ's response first. For Citadels? Uh, yeah. All right. I 
this this maybe applies to me, but you guys can chime in if it applies to you. Citadels is one of those games uh, that I brought out at a party, or not a party, but a big group together where there was enough people. I think there was eight or nine, and I played it, and the people there were kind of drunk, and it soured my taste on it. So now mm. it's one of those games where like, I thought like I kind of had fun, but I think I didn't have fun because of the people. But now it just sits on my shelf, and every time I go to like put it in my bag, I'm like, nah, I, I didn't have a good experience, and then I slowly slide it back onto the shelf. Oh. Here's my Citadel story. It's actually probably worse than yours, SPJ, because <laughs> what? I, I had a friend that said, Citadels, it's my favorite game. And anytime someone says, it's my favorite game, then you, uh, by obligation, have to play it just to judge that person by their taste in games. Like, all right, this is the thermometer upon which I can understand what you think is the best game. So I played Citadels, and we played it with, what, six, eight players? I don't even remember how many players it plays up to. I think it was up to ten. Yeah, so I think we were playing with eight players, and after, no joke, 20 minutes went by before I got to go again. And when I finally did go, I had chosen a character that... I didn't get to do my thing because of some other combination. And I, I decided, wow, I really, really don't like this game simply because I'm looking around and half of the people are bored out of their minds. So that wow. was my Citadel. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, obviously, you're both wrong <laughs> because it's a really good game. It's... Uh, I. Uh, some people like more than others, and that's fine. It's it's one of those games that I've played, hadn't played for a long time, and I haven't lost interest in it yet. I still like it. But it's, I, I mean, I think it's probably good with three to five people for when you first get used to it, because a bunch of the roles will or won't appear each round, which I think makes it more exciting. Uh, and I don't know if it works as well in larger groups. It kind of does if everyone knows the game and they're invested in it, because you shouldn't really have more than about maybe 10 minutes for a turn, 10, 15 minutes at the very most. It shouldn't drag. It's usually a game where it's like, this person's turn now, do their thing, right next person's turn. Right. Maybe that was... Yeah, I don't know. It's I'm used to it being a quick-fire game, but I could see how it could get slowed down by, by new yeah. people. Yeah. The rule in game design is, if it can happen, it will happen. <laughs> and if a turn can take 20 minutes, mm. it will eventually happen. So, well, let me ask you this then, Paul. I'll put you on the spot. Uh, have you played Masquerade with Bruno Fidel? Yeah. Yeah. Now, that also has something where the rules change, etc., what do you prefer, Citadels or Masquerade? That's a really good question. I don't know if I've got a preference over either of them. Um, the correct answer is Masquerade. Masquerade <laughs> oh, is the correct answer. Yeah, yeah, look at no, us. No, wait, uh, what is Masquerade? Wait, you haven't played Masquerade? I'm I thought we were on Jeopardy. Hang on. Uh, what is Alan Girding? Oh, okay, there we <laughs> go. Wait, no. <laughs> gotcha. Now, I was just throwing it back at you. But anyway, so what does Citadels have to do with Mission Red Planet? Well, you have a bunch of, uh, you're basically trying to put some folks on Mars and you have a bunch of different parts of Mars. And the, the way Mars works, much like the real Mars, if you have more people in a space of Mars than anyone else, then you get to claim the points from that bit to Mars. So right. a real life, life, just like real life, a bit like El Grande, you just want to populate, comp completely populate one area more than someone else. And obviously, there are so many areas, so you can't populate all of them in a way that makes you dominant. So you're trying to pick the best, but everyone else is. 
but you're sending people there via spaceships every turn. So you're sort of loading up these spaceships with your own people, or sometimes a mix of different people, pointing them at different parts of the planet, and then hoping that you'll get a, you know, dominance of that region. But you also have a bunch of roll cards in your hand, which are all individual characters that let you do a special, specific thing on that turn. And that can be put more people on a spaceship or move some people around Mars so they're in different places, change the color of a different person, or maybe kill someone else's person on Mars so you might get dominance of an area. Uh, And you pick one of these every turn. They all do a special thing. Once you've picked it, you can't play it again, so it just sits in front of you. So as the game goes along, gradually people sort of learn what you've played, what you've got left in your hand, what you might be likely to do next. And there's one card that kind of saves you, which is called the Recruiter, which is you don't get to do very much on your turn, but you get to pick all your cards up again. So it's your hand refresh. Gotcha. But that's all it is. It's sort of having these hidden possibilities in your hand of this turn, I'm going to put this many people in ships, or I'm going to modify the game in this one specific way. Uh, And you may or may not know what's coming based on what I've played already or based on what everyone else has played. And it becomes a sort of a combination of deduction and trying to do the best you can with what you have that turn we should have had you do an elevator pitch for it that's what we should have just done ah we missed the opportunity i mean i could just put the music in the background and (laughs) no it's not genuine now that's true yeah that sounds really cool that sounds really cool um alan what have what have you played i know you have a you always have the longest list in the world all right i'll just shotgun it royals word blur cash and guns Melee, Enter the Dungeon, a little super secret Project H. And then I played a couple of Button Shy games, which is Smoke and Mirrors, Pickpockets. Uh, Button Shy games are those wallet games that Jason Tagmire publishes. Uh, And last but not least, The Big Book of Madness. Have any of you guys played any of those? The Big Book of Madness. You've played it, yeah? No, No. I'm I'm actually really curious about what that is. I mean, that, that... that is a thing that you played already? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's by Yellow, which most people pronounce I-L-O because that's how they spell it. Yellow is but... the one company in the board game industry that I can pronounce their name correctly. Yeah. Uh, it's by Yellow and it's a total... Well, I mean, I, I could elevator pitch it, I guess, if you guys want to, but it's your show, SBJ. No, I think it, it, I was going to ask Paul what, what of the list sounds the most appealing and I, I would agree with his choice. Very Big well. Book of Madness. Also, All I right. like yellow, so you kind of sold me on that alone. Yeah, they always have just totally cracking art. I love it. Um, who should I be? Ooh, uh, you've got to be a certain character, haven't you? Yeah. 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 Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, how about, here's my pitch for your pitch. How about you are some sort of vaguely messianic religious figure who's trying to convert us to your cause or uh, your particular way of life via this game? That's easy what because it? that's what I do almost every day of my life when I try <laughs> oh, to convert no. people into oh, board game players. To... Yeah. Oh, I've made the choice now. Very well. Let's see how you All do right, this. Lock it in. All right. Let me think for a second and then SBJ ding me. Ding me, SBJ. Oh, why, hello. Welcome to the elevator. I couldn't help but notice that you look like an intelligent person. And as an intelligent person, I'm going to assume you're literate, and because you're literate, I think you'd be interested in this big book of madness. 
because of an intelligent person, you would be interested in playing this deck building game. Yes, deck building game, and it doesn't get much better than deck building. So I think you should uh, join the deck builders. And the best thing is, it's a cooperative game, so it's not like you're gonna be opposed to anyone. So join my group. We'll all play this cooperative deck building game and try not to go insane while we're doing it because we're working together, building our decks, but anytime we have to shuffle our deck again, we have to put in a madness card. And if you have nothing but madness cards in your hand, why, you're eliminated. But what's the whole premise of this big book of madness? We play the part of cultists or wizards that go into the dungeon of our wizardry school and we think this book has all the spells, but it just has monsters. So we have to use our resources to banish those monsters. And if we don't, we all lose and die together. And it's only by together that we can actually make this happen. So come on, let's play. It's fun, it's nice and uh, you don't have to shave your head. It's amazing. That was probably one of the best pitches you've done. Oh, hey, wow. thanks, man. <laughs> it was really good. That, that did sound like the pitch for some kind of medieval religion, basically. We've got to fight monsters. We might go crazy. <laughs> is Join it, me. How, how much Cthulhu is in this game? Uh, so the amazing thing is it's all references, but the art is not macabre at all. It's bright and colorful, gorgeous. And the cool thing is, uh, the way that the game works is you start by randomly drawing, I think it's eight, maybe 10 monster cards, but the way they're shaped is they're shaped like pages of the book. So it actually looks like a book. And when you defeat one, you turn the page and it gives you a preview of what the next one is. Cause that's like the card back of the next monster. And they have their consequences if you aren't able to defeat that monster and rewards if you do defeat that monster. So it's totally, it was really popular at Origins. Everyone was playing it at Origins and they said, oh, have you played Big Book, Big Book of Madness? I like deck building. I love cooperative games. I've played Rune Age and that's brutal. That's a cooperative deck building game. And uh, yeah, I think it definitely has its place. I personally think it defeats Rune Age. I'd probably much rather go to the big book of madness, maybe even because of the art. The art and the setup is so gorgeous that it really immerses people. Do you know what the, the player count is on that? Seems like a four or five player game. I do, actually. I have it right here in front of me. It's two to five players, okay, and it's for 14 and older, and it plays in 60 to 90 minutes, and that's accurate. And I have to tell you, when I played, man, we thought we were doing okay, and then we died within like two turns, and it was kind of a surprise. Like, I think we have this. I think, oh, we're dead. Damn it. Well, you normally like, don't like longer games like that. I, well, remember, SBJ, it's all about memorable experiences <laughs> and bringing people together. So it really depends on the group and if you're in there. And I was playing it not during a huge party, not during a huge convention. I just had three friends over. We were all sitting around. It was a quiet group. And we said, let's play some heavier games. So, yeah. But if I'm hosting a Tuesday night party and there's 30 people around, I feel bad just saying, you guys take care of yourselves. I'm going to hang out with these three people for the next hour. Speaking of time length, I visited my my couple friend that moved, my couple friends, my friend couple, my cup. Your friends that are a couple having sex with one another. <laughs> yes, that that is the they moved to Minnesota. I was in Minnesota visiting Irene's family. Uh, I then the next day spent the day with them. 
Uh, they took me to some unique places in Minnesota eat, to eat, but they were excited for what board games I brought. And I ended up bringing Pandemic Legacy uh, because these are friends I usually see once every two months. So figured I would maybe hopefully open and start that game. Spoiler, I didn't. Uh, I brought the Grizzled. <laughs> uh, the, I brought the Grizzled. I, bought, I brought Pirate's Den. I brought like just base Dominion. And then two rooms in a boom and monikers just for big groups. Like if there's a big group situation, those are like my two monikers. Go- right. Monikers and two rooms are my go-to uh, games. They were like, what'd you bring? What'd you bring? I, and I brought out the games and I was like, oh, maybe we could do the grizzled. It's a co-op game. And they were like, no. And I was like, what? And they're no. And I was like, have you played the grizzled? They were like, yeah, we hate it. It took like two hours. And I was, what? I was like, well, it's a, it's a 30 minute game. And they were like, have you played it? And I was like, no, the, the shrink wrap's still on, but I've read the rule book three times. I read it when I bought the game. I read it about a week ago, and I read it like today just to make sure that I had the understanding. I also watched it. Because you're a good host. Right. And That's I, very impressive. Yeah. And I was like, it was talked about, like everyone loved it. And they were like, no, it, we, we played it with our family. It took almost two hours. It, it's such a grim and depressing game. We don't want to play it. And I was like, I was like, we don't have to play it. I'm just confused why it took you guys an hour and a half or two hours and they couldn't really elaborate but now i really want to play the grizzled because i don't think it takes that long i guess there are turns so if someone took forever on their turn but i can't they really shouldn't you just have to choose which card to play out of i don't remember the hand size of like four cards it changes how many cards you have but yeah and, uh, and that's uh, it. And obviously the game's depressing. It's you know World War Two, World War One. Right. So we they have an expansion now too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, now I really want to play the Grizzle just because I want I want to see I want to help them understand what they did wrong because that that's kind of a per, like that kind of bothers me a little bit. Like oh you played it wrong and you didn't have fun. Well let me teach like I want you to have fun with it. So let me teach it the right way. But you know maybe they just don't like the theme or they'll never. Here's like the- what you do, SBJ. You don't call it the Grizzle. You just take the components out and you say hey. We're going to play and then name it something else that's really inspiring. Yeah. Like, we're going to play Brothers of Weather. You are weather guys. (laughs) And you've, I don't know, something. And then just pitch it differently and see how it goes. So instead, I was like, well, I was like, let's play Pirate's Den. It's a a bluffing game. I've talked about Pirate's Den before, but I was like, it it takes about 20 minutes. It's real short. And they were like, well, the box is 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, we're going on this now. I was like, no, guys, it takes like 20 minutes. I know the rules. I can explain it without looking at the rule book. But both of them, the, the grizzled haters were like, we're going to hold you to that. And you say you're, you're painting a bad picture. Of <laughs> I am. I'm painting people. a bad picture. Uh, they're really great. Uh, we ended up playing Pirates Den. It only took 15, 20 minutes because it is a very short game. And they loved it. We played it twice. And we actually ran out of time, so we didn't get to play anything else. They did have reservations about Pandemic Legacy because of the commitment you would have to that game, which I think is oh yes, which is weird because I I would consider them like some of my closest friends to play games with, and and like I said yeah. earlier, like I see them pretty often. So if I couldn't play another month of that game for a month. That would be okay. Yeah. That is a compliment in of itself because when you offer someone to play Pandemic Legacy with you, that's like a proposal. Like, <laughs> right. hey, yeah. I want to spend oh, a month with you. Isn't it? It is a thing like, do you want to be invested in this project with me? Yeah. Uh, my, my wrist legacy group fell apart. And so. <laughs> Were you just asking me, Paul? Because the answer is yes. I will totally play <laughs> Pandemic Legacy with you. Well, we, um, we, as a, 
shut up and sit down sort of team. We all had our own separate pandemic legacy groups that we played with, which is funny because you might think that we'd find a way to play it all together, but actually we all played it separately with our with our own groups. And now having done it, I mean, I, I, um, I don't know if I could ever begin it again because there's too many things in it that I know. Yeah. I but have to admit, really... that's the part of your podcast that I don't listen to is because you said, hey, yeah. spoiler alert. Yeah. So I turned don't, it off. Until you're ready. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll always try and be clear about that. But it's, it's very interesting to come together afterwards and compare notes or compare ideas. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's that I want to play it. And I, and I guess Irene and I could just play it, my girlfriend and I. But I don't know if we're missing something if there's not two other people there. I think Quinns did it as two people the whole way through. I always did it with four in my group, and I think Matt's group was always four, and four felt good. It felt right. Okay. I will keep searching for a group, because if, if, if they had reservations of playing, I don't want to be like, no, let's play, because I don't want, I don't want that commitment to start off sour. Late night Gen Con with me, SBJ? I would play with you. We'd, have, we'd have to find two others. Oh, speaking of Gen Con, really quick, when is your live podcast, uh, Paul? I Shutter think it's you, ha- you guys Friday have two. And the Saturday. What time on Saturday? Oh my goodness! Ah, I, um, talk amongst yourselves. I think right. I think their right. Friday. I, hope he doesn't say six. I think their Friday show is sold out because I'm pretty sure I could only get tickets to the Saturday show, and I think it's at noon actually. Okay. Yes. I think you're right. Uh, that is the one that I think has a larger capacity as well. We're very lucky that um, we we always have a lot of people coming to these events. They're always really popular. But uh, yeah, I'm afraid I think Friday is already at capacity and Saturday might have a few spots left. If anyone's interested, I would really say get in as soon as possible because Gen Con is a really big event and that means lots of people try and get into everything. Right. Are you yeah, guys, are you ours guys... too? Ours is selling out fast too, guys. So Saturday <laughs> six o'clock, get in because we're almost sold out. So yeah, do that. Yeah. I was gonna I was gonna ask you, Paul. Are are you guys besides the two live panels that you have? Are you guys doing anything else? I know previous years you've done like bar meetups where oddly enough you guys were playing two rooms in a boom or just talking with people. Yeah, we're thinking about something like that again. We um want to do something are you aware of the place called tomlinson's tap room is that where you guys were before that's where we did uh the two rooms thing i think yes it's it's basically sort of walkable from the center we're going i think the plan is that we basically do the friday podcast and then very quickly cab right over to the tap room afterwards to hang around with people play games and kind of i i mean there will be some playing but a lot of it i think is just it's fun to meet people and be social and get feedback from people but yeah we'll be doing i think it's five o'clock on friday it may actually be five o'clock on saturday looking at what's on our uh on our own website which i had to check (laughs) that shows you how organized i really am no that's totally cool no no right wait so hang on (laughs) 9 p.m on friday is your podcast friday the 5th or your live panel i should say saturday the 6th so what we were originally saying is correct. Okay. And I yeah. was just reading off the UK Games Expo podcast times, which you could try to come to, but that's in the past. So that <laughs> right. would be very difficult. Great, yeah. great. Yeah. So if you haven't already done so, uh, sign up for the Shut Up and Sit Down panel on Saturday at noon, which is the right time. 
Tuesday night podcast panel. Uh, Friday night. No, wait. Are we on Friday or are we on Saturday? No, Saturday. We're on Saturday, Saturday. at 6, man. Saturday at 6. I have a different panel uh, Friday at 6. That's probably why. So you sign up for all those Gen Con. I uh, Ours is free. I think Shut Up and Sit Downs is two, $2 or general admission or whatever the Two dollars, I think, is the general admission price. I think so. I think it's really, really, like, really cheap and simple, and it's it's not for us. It's it's something that Gen Con do to allocate the space or something. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Awesome, cool. Uh, I think I think that's it. Unless anyone else has anything to ramble on about, I shouldn't I shouldn't pose that question because Alan will ramble. Ramble, ramble. I, hey, Paul, thanks for coming out, man. Sorry if we held you up past your uh, time allotment. Past my bedtime. No, it's fine. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I hope I didn't. I was actually the guy rambling a lot. So no, that was totally cool. At the end, uh, if ah. there's anything either of you would like to vent on, I will listen and make appreciative noises. <laughs> Where if uh, if you want our listeners to provide you positive or negative feedback, Paul, where can they where can they find you? Vancouver, Vancouver, British Columbia. I'll be waiting. <laughs> 12 o'clock tomorrow by the fountain. Perfect. <laughs> the fountain that was in X-Files because X-Files was filmed there. Don't joke. There's a, there, that's true. There's an episode with a place where there's a fountain. There's a guy and he takes hostage. I've been there. I know where that is. <laughs> yeah. Your yeah. glibness will be your downfall. All right. <laughs> X-Files mocker. Uh, I am I'm on. Probably the easiest thing is if you just Google Paul Chino, which is like P-A-U-L-L. I-C-I-N-O, which is an old nickname that I had. Um, like, that's my Twitter handle, and then there's a Tumblr blog that's like paulachino.tumblr.com. Uh, Alan, where can our listeners find you? You find me on Overwatch. Uh, <laughs> hashtag Alan11775. I will play with anyone with good sportsmanship. You can find me on Facebook. I accept anyone's friend request, because the aforementioned loneliness that's Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-Ding, D-I-N-G, and I'm on the tweets at Alan Gerding. One one seven seven five. Yeah, you don't Is choose like it. A, I was. Oh right, I thought it was like a birth date reference. Like you born in the <laughs> No, no. So like, you get to choose your name. It's because Blizzard had this whole thing where it's like you can choose whatever name you want. But then once they got big and started having online play and like oh wait we have to come up with some system that people can actually friend each other uh, yeah and yeah. now they have basically license plate numbers that randomly get distributed to you yep wow so they did not learn the lesson of yahoo chat like 20 years before. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> blizzard does almost everything so right in my opinion but they really screwed the pooch on that yeah well you can follow the podcast or just Tuesday Night Games in general on Twitter. It is at PlayTKG. You can follow me on Twitter. It is, if you care to do so, it is at Dragging a Lake. Uh, otherwise, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can uh, email us, podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Uh, Sean's not here, but I'm sure he, <laughs> he would want me to mention that uh, pre-orders for two, room, two Rooms in a Boom is up on TuesdayNightGames.com. And World Championship Russian Roulette. And, and if you missed the Kickstarter, World Championship Russian Roulette is up there too. And uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, again, thank you, Paul, for being on. Thank you for having me and letting me ramble for so long and just being really gracious hosts. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Oh, this guy. <laughs>
Otherwise, I'm serious. <laughs> I appreciate it. Other, it's a lot of fun. Before I, uh, I blush even more. Otherwise, this podcast is. It's on you, Paul. Is it? Oh Same my god. But I, am I, is this because I'm pretending to be Sean? <laughs> yeah, you just say fit it. It's yeah. Just say finished when you can. This podcast is finished when you can. Oh, you, <laughs> you rascal, you.